SEAL team, we have this saying called aim small, miss small. Basically, the way that that works is if you get very particular where your aim is to just try and hit somebody in the body, if you miss, you're going off. But if you pick a button maybe on, on, on the shirt that they're wearing, well, if you miss that, you're still going to wind up on target. And that principle is true when it comes to uh, trying to capture really anything that you're going after in life. You want to be very particular. You don't want to just kind of shoot out there and go after some goal in general. But the more particular you get about it, whatever you're aiming at, if you are off just a little bit, you'll still be on. And uh, I kind of remember when I was going through this this point uh, in junior college where I was, I was turning out to be a loser, failing all my classes. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I'm trying to think, what can I do with my life? And so I'm trying to reel in, really dial down on, I want to do something big, something great, something that no matter what happens in my life from that point forward, I can always look back and say, hey, at least I did that thing. So my first idea, I think, is go become an Alaskan crab fisherman. Yeah, deadliest catch. By far the most dangerous job in the world. Uh, But then that other idea pops in my head. No, I know what I want to do. I want to go become a U.S. Navy SEAL. And so once I really got my sights set on that, you know, I'm aiming small, I'm particular about it, I'm going after this thing. And so I'm getting ready, I'm preparing, I'm doing everything I can from the whip, the running, the pull-ups, the push-ups, everything I can do uh, to get ready for SEAL training. And a part of our creed is not only this aim small, miss small, this is just a principle in training, but part of our creed is this. In order to make it through training, you got to be this common man with an uncommon desire to succeed. It doesn't really matter what your DNA is. What matters the most is really what's going on inside of your mind. Once you've caught the vision, once you have the idea, you've got to have the right intention to go ahead and pull this thing off. In SEAL training, you've got to be willing to die before you quit. I'll never forget that when they got all of us together, 173 of us in, our, in this class, very beginning, they say, uh, hey, gentlemen, how many of you are willing to die before you quit? And, of course, all of us are just saying, hoo-yah, you know, hitting our chest, yeah. In order to quit, these guys have to ring a brass bell three times in front of everybody, take their class helmet off, and lay it down in this chronological order of, of those that, that quit. But by this point, the very beginning, nobody's quit yet, right? So they're saying, all right, so all of you guys are willing to die before you quit. Yeah, you know, and they say, all right, look left, look right, take a mental picture of this guy on your left, on your right, in front of you, behind you. Chances are that if you're the person still standing here for graduation day, then each of those guys you just took a mental picture of haven't made it through. Do you really think you're that person? And that was like the first time where it was just a real eye-opener for me. I knew in SEAL training, it's got the highest attrition rate. You know, the majority of the guys don't make it through. But this is when it really hit me as I actually got to know some of these guys around me and kind of know how tough they are. I said, yeah, you know, where are these critters going to come from? It's not going to be me, but these guys aren't going to quit either. You know, I know these guys. As I'm looking around, they're all vowing the same thing. We'll die before we quit. I'm just trying to pick out somebody that'll quit. You know, there's got to be a lot of these guys. Is there anyone I can pick out? As I'm looking around, I see one of the toughest guys in the class. This guy's named Clark. And this guy, by far, you know, he's the biggest stud in our class. He's got the biggest muscles. He's always in first place on everything. There's no competition over who's going to get first place. There's always a competition over who's going to get second place on a run or a swim or the calisthenics that we do because he was in a league of his own. He was in his own pack, off on his own. So I'm thinking, he's not going to quit. All right, he's like the stud in the class. I'm looking around, and then my eyes capture this guy named Gagne. Now, Gagne, this kid, he shows up to SEAL training. I have no idea how he made it through the bare minimums, the requirements to get in, but he did. He's this overweight, flabby guy. I mean, he's a video gamer by background. He didn't play any athletics whatsoever. He's 
got this big old mole on the side of his head, and he's just like, it looks like he doesn't belong here. I'm like, that guy's definitely going to quit. He's going to be one of the first quitters. I'm looking around the class, and, you know, I, I can't find anyone else. I'm like, that guy's going to make it. That guy's going to quit. But, all right, this will just all sort itself out. Well, we start SEAL training. And as we get towards the most difficult part of SEAL training, it's called Hell Week. In a nutshell, five and a half days long, you get four hours of sleep. You cover over 200 miles on your feet, running around, boat on top of your head, going through surf torture. The very first day of Hell Week, who quits? It's not Gagne. It's Bart, the toughest guy in our class. And as we're getting through really the crux of Hell Week, we're at a certain point where whoever's going to make it, they're, they're still here. I mean, like everyone at, by pretty much Thursday night, you know they're going to make it the rest of the way. Alex Gagne is still there. And so what's the big difference here, right? Like I said, it doesn't come down to your DNA. A lot of people, sometimes they feel like in life they've been dealt a bad deck of cards and it's just not meant for me. I've, I've been surrounded by, you know, some friends growing up like that and it always just really irritates me because it doesn't really come down to your DNA. It doesn't matter your muscles, right? What matters the most is your mind. There are certain things in life that you cannot determine. You can't determine really the DNA that you're going to have. But that's not what it comes down to, right? What it comes down to is just mentality. A common man is just an ordinary common man. SEAL training is a melting pot. All different kinds of guys. The common man with that uncommon desire to succeed. So the good news is the thing that you can't determine, the thing that you do have power over is the thing that matters really the most. You can't determine whether or not you're going to have the muscles of Barth or the little muscles and mole of Gagne, right? You can't determine that. But you can determine whether or not you're going to have the quitting mind of a guy like Barth or the mind that is not going to quit like this guy, Alex Gagne. And so really this is just sort of a, an encouragement to you guys that, look, it doesn't matter what's your background, where you come from. There's all kinds of guys that have made it through SEAL training that have uh, checkered past. But it's once you've determined, once you've got the vision, you're aiming small, you're going to miss small. And then you got to have that determination. I'll die before I quit. And any one of you guys could really flip that switch and turn it on uh, anytime that you want to. All right, so as we're making it through SEAL training, we've got these two. He's going to aim small, miss small. And then that, that attitude, I'll die before I quit. That common man with an uncommon desire to succeed. This is where you take it from that vision and intention to the means. And uh, there's a philosopher by the name of Dallas Rohr that really breaks it down like this. Vision, intention, means. Any goal you want to accomplish, first you have to capture the vision, then you have to have the intention, and then you have to have the means to actually accomplish it. So part of our seal creed, another part, is being forged by adversity. Forged by adversity. You know, no one has endurance. Nobody has the ability to endure unless they've had something that they've had to endure through. And this is really the whole point of seal training. You know, this is the melting pot. This is the forging process. The idea is they're going to put us through the most difficult times of our life. Hopefully, we never go through a more difficult situation. I shared in the other room, you know, one of the guys in our class, I mean, he broke his leg in a very devastating way coming down off a rope, his leg, the bone sticking out. These instructors, instead of showing any kind of mercy, they're screaming at him, suffer in silence. And this is just a real eye-opener that, this adversity that we're going through right now, this guy's not going to make it. He's out, broken leg. And we're thinking these instructors might soften up a little bit right now, but they're teaching us something in the moment. This is, this is a moment where you begin to learn that this is how it is on the battlefield as well. This is the time that's really going to shape us in this moment right here. It's going to determine what kind of person we are as we go through these difficult situations. In the battlefield, if somebody gets shot and they're screaming, guess where the physicians, everyone can get killed. And so forged by adversity. 
So once you've captured whatever vision it is that you're going after, you have the intention to pull it off, uh, basically then it's going to come down to that experience. It's that experience that is really going to make you who you are. And sometimes it's those failures that really make you uh, the ultimate, right? You have to fall sometimes to get back up in order to really know what it's like to grind and, and dig deep. Uh, but one of the critical things then is having humility. You know, part of our Seal Creed is this humbly we serve. We must beware of the pitfalls of pride. Whether this comes to, you know, just you know, being an arrogant person around the other people that you're surrounded by or whether you're this type of leader. Uh, I remember when I first had this interaction with Scott Helveston that he could really pick up on this sort of arrogance that I had as a, a young, you know, kid, 19 years old. I think this is really why he could put a beating on me. We go for a run. We wind up out there in the middle of the wetlands. And uh, what does he do? This guy just full-on physically assaults me, just lays right into me, knocks the wind out of me, starts ragdolling me over the ground, spit flying out of his mouth. He's screaming in my face, going ballistic, and he's screaming, you want to get in Navy SEAL, you better stay three bases behind me. You know, he later explained to me that he, he saw something in me that he just really didn't like. I was this arrogant kid. And so you've got to be aware of the pitfalls of pride, especially as a leader, because nobody likes to be around a leader that is prideful and arrogant. Because sometimes with position comes that type of pride where you think you can just tell people what to do and they got to do it just because you've got the keys. That's the kind of leader that nobody wants to follow. And so you only got not only got to be able to lead yourself, but when it comes to leading other people, you need to have this attribute of being really a servant leader. And that's what Scott Helveston was. You know, after he put me in my place, what did he do? He really took me under his wing, began to mentor me. He didn't just tell me that, you know, I'm a knucklehead, I'm not going to make it. He began to really build me up. He began to really in invest his personal time into me. And what that did is this. You know, if, if somebody has a position, they tell you what you got to do, you might do it. You do it reluctantly. You do it because you have to, because you might get fired. You want to collect a paycheck at the end of the day, whatever it is. You do it reluctantly if they're prideful. But if they're the servant leader that really invests into you, that really looks out for you, that shows concern for you, What's that like? You do what they tell you to do, not because you have to, but because you want to. You have a desire to serve them. You have a desire to give them a good run as their sled dog. And so this principle of servant leadership, it's there in the SEAL teams, humbly we serve. You know, I've had it all the way from Scott to a platoon chief, you know, where if guys are falling behind on close quarters combat, they're really not up to speed. It's not just you guys got to stick around and figure this out on your own at the end of the night. You know, my, my chief that I had in my last platoon that I can't mention by name, he's still in, he would stick around. He would really invest his personal time into all the guys. So it really, when it came down to it, if he wanted us to run into a hail of bullets, we would do that uh, for him. So the servant leadership, and you find this really in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He's the first person, if he did it really bad, I mean, what did he do? His disciples, he had their loyalty. In what way? Well, here he is. He's the leader. He's the one that essentially the universe has spoken into existence through him. And what did he do? He gets down on his knees and begins to wash his disciples' feet and begins to serve them, to really invest into them. And that blew their mind to the point where when he had something that he wanted them to do, when he had a vision that he wanted them to run with, and he tells them, this is what I want you to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all the nations. Look how much these guys were willing to do it. They didn't drag their feet into it. They didn't do it just to be somewhat loyal to him. They did it under the point of bloodshed. They all died, you know, all of them except for one out of, out of the mix. John were willing to shed their blood, sign their testimony in blood to fulfill what he wanted them to do. 
And so being a, a servant leader is really one of the key aspects of being a great leader. This is how you lead uh, like a Navy SEAL. Uh, but as we're going off on this last operation, looking through the green little world, night vision goggles, we're headed out. We're about to go get this guy. Everything breaks free. We're getting shot at from three different directions, taking effective fire. And you would think in a situation like this, this is a situation how my mentor died. He was ambushed. He was killed. He was dragged through the streets of Belize. And you guys probably saw it on TV back in 2004, March 31st. He was one of these four private contractors with Blackwater. He was a SEAL that went in with Blackwater. And the, these guys, they, uh, they got a hold of him and just three other Americans, videotaping everything they're doing to him. Uh, very similar to what ISIS is doing today with, you know, the, the beheading of all these Christians and the burning of the Jordanian pilot, you know, dragging Scott through the streets, hanging him upside down from the Trading Prison Bridge. It was said that it was one of the worst mutilations to, you know, our Americans uh, ever since Black Hawk Down. Setting his body on fire, chanting in Arabic, salute to the graveyard of Americans, and this was played all over national television. I watched this happen to a guy uh, that a second bottle was thrown at him. And so, you know, getting thrown into an ambush, that's the absolute worst circumstance that you could ever be thrown into. Another part of our SEAL creed, though, is this. The ability to control your emotions and actions regardless of the circumstances. The ability to control your emotions and actions regardless of circumstances. How does that work? How do you get to that place where you're getting shot at, you're returning fire, you're shooting, moving, and communicating in the worst of circumstances? Well, it really all comes down to fire preparation. And that's what SEAL training is all about. And I think that's one of the things that just really makes people in awe of SEAL training. Like all the training that we go through. I mean, we are, I would say we're out there the most with all the running, the swimming that we do, the shooting, the moving, uh, the land warfare, the jumping out of airplanes. It's just total dedication. It's fire preparation so that when you get thrown into a situation where it's the worst of circumstances, you're able to have control over the situation because you're relying on that fire preparation. It's almost like muscle memory. So it's not shooting from the hip. It's not winging it, you know, when you get thrown into various circumstances. But it's it's a lot of just, what we call it, uh, just doing dirt dives, right? Just practicing a dive on land, going over and over and over, you know. I'm going to kick 500 times, you know, one leg this way. I'm going to kick another 300 legs to the left. I should be finding a shadow, a dark spot, you know, and just, just over and over and over. Uh, when it comes to close quarters combat, we go, we keep the lights on, walking around. We'll call out each other's names, communicating everything that we're doing. Just walking through very slow. Eventually goes from just shooting blanks or shooting live rounds to now we're doing it without communicating at all because we know what each other's going to do with the lights on. But eventually we go lights off. With the lights off, we go walking through, calling out, you know, and eventually it's live rounds, shooting by each other. And then it's the real deal. Lights off, no communication. We train like we fight. We fight like we train. In fact, you know, we take it so serious that this, this guy, Alex Nanya, who made it through SEAL training, uh, this is that guy that, you know, he was the ugly duckling of the class. Man, he just kind of made it through. Uh, th one of the things that happened uh, during training, we train like we fight. We're using live ammunition. He actually caught a round, and it went through his side, and uh, he ended up dying 30 minutes later on the way to the hospital. Uh, but, you know, still, this is just a point that's very serious stuff. We're, we're preparing for war, but you can take these principles, and you don't have to worry about life and death the majority of things that you're doing out there in the world. So here we go. We're getting ambushed. We're in this situation. We're taking effective fire. What's the first words that we hear come over the radio? It's very calm, cool, and collected. It comes from the chief. He says, all right, boys, we're going to get out of this thing alive. So what I need you to do is push left. He says that calm, cool, and collected thing. And this is very important when it comes to being a leader in the worst of circumstances, being able to control his emotions and actions. 
I think you could really see this in the former president, uh, George Bush. He's been highly criticized in the past uh, when it came to 9-11. He was inside of a classroom, right? And he gets the news that this president, you know, uh, America is under attack. And people look back at the footage of his reaction to this, and they say, what's wrong with him? He shows no emotion. He should be hysteric. He should be upset right now. But he's just kind of sitting on an even keel. He's criticized for this. But later on, looking back, his point is this, that I was just like everybody else when I heard this happen. Except unlike everybody else, I had a, a unique position. I had a job to do it. He knew that if he showed all of his emotion, if he went hysterical, it would cause mass hysteria, right? As the leader, he needed to stay calm and keep his intellectual ability to respond appropriately and so that everyone else wouldn't begin to fall apart. And so this principle of a leader, that ability to control your emotions and actions regardless of the circumstances, I've never been in ambush before. This is my first time. You know, my chief, though, he sounds pretty calm, cool, and collected. All right, boys, we're going to get out of this thing alive. Push left. Tactically speaking, I can't give away the details, but I do. He's calling us to go forward into this floor. And so what do we do? Begin to do what the Navy SEALs do best. Shoot, move, and communicate with all that prior preparation. We work our way into the house, and we ultimately get this guy where we're going at. And one of the big differences between us and them over there is that we don't just reserve life wherever possible. You know, we don't just go kill them all and let God sort them out, right? Uh, we could have finished this guy off. He was wounded. His weapon was to the side. We wind up saving his life. It's one of the biggest differences. So one other principle I want to share with you guys before we open it up to Q&A. As part of our SEAL career, I think this is really one of the most important things before we go out and operate. It says that in, in the worst of circumstances, in the worst of conditions, we will rely on the grace of those who have gone before us to steady our resolve, to guide our efforts. I remember when we were going to go after those uh, Somali pirates, the way that we were going to go after these guys, we didn't quite have the same resources that six had coming from stateside because we're coming from Iraq going over there. And so the best option that we really had that in, in the moment, our plan was just to go have a direct assault with these guys, just literally swim right up on the boat and get it on. And that realization that, you know, when you do that, there's a very, very good chance that somebody's going to get hurt in the process and not come back. And I kind of remember this, uh, this speech our Master Chief gave us reminding us of that creed, you know, in the worst of those conditions, we rely on the legacy of those who have gone before you. And he's reminding us of guys like Mike Monsoor, who was a U.S. Navy SEAL. And while he's overseas in Ramadi, Iraq, up on top of a roof providing cover for other SEALs out on the road, a hand grenade gets thrown up on that roof by an insurgent, hits Mike in the chest, falls to the dark. And you can imagine he had an exit just a step away. That grenade, not his problem. But here's the catch. There's other SEALs on the roof with him, and these guys did not stand a chance of getting up past his grenade to the exit. So Mike, in a split-second selfless act, just laughs with his grenade as he had just enough time to get over the top of it where he could have died. He smothered it, and he absorbed the blast of that grenade on himself. And he suffered for 30 minutes before he died. But because of what he did, all those other guys on the roof, they all lived. And so these words, greater love has no one than this, the one that lays down his life for his friends. You can see that intent with Mike Monsoor. My friend Scott Halverson, one of the last things he ever said to me before he he went overseas and was killed is being the one I go over there to have something make a difference. And so a Master Chief might remind us about Scott. You know, we remember what kind of man he was, how he was willing to get out there. Although he was killed and dragged, he wasn't in danger for the sake of freedom, hung from that bridge. And then most importantly for men that know the Lord, I mean, a big motivating factor for us ought to be remembering those who have gone before us. How about we remember our Savior who has gone before us? 
And he's made the life that we have really possible. He's really the source of our power. He says that apart from me, you can do nothing, right? We are branches, and we are plugged into him. He is our vine. And you just think about what he has gone through. He says, you wake up in the morning. You're about to go do something you really don't want to go do. And remember guys like Mike Monsoon. Remember guys like Scott Helvington that made freedom available for you in the U.S. here. And then most importantly, remember Jesus, who at the cross absorbed the blast, not of some hand grenade, but the blast of all of our iniquity, the blast of all of our sin upon himself so that we could live, not only with him in eternity, so that we could live a life here on earth that he intended for us to live. So we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but then everything else here on earth is added to us. And just my friend Scott killed and hung from that bridge for the sake of freedom. This is the freedom that Jesus Christ was killed for, not only in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, so that we could be set free from the sin that so easily entangles us. Greater love is no one than this, the one that lays down his life for his friends. We see it in men like Mike Monsoor and Scott Helvison. And most importantly, one we certainly all should have in common is Jesus Christ. He laid it all down at the cross. So that's the proper perspective of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So just kind of recapping these principles, remember it's aim small, miss small. So whatever you want to do in life, you know, you capture the vision. But the unique thing about the believer is this. You ought to be seeking first the kingdom of God when you're trying to capture that vision. What would you have me do, Lord? C.S. Lewis says that if you aim at earth, you will miss. But if you aim at heaven, then your earth is going to aim. You get heaven and you get earth by aiming. So while you're aiming small, you should be looking to the Lord. Lord, what would you have me do? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now direct your path. He gives you that vision. Then it comes time to that intention. You've got to be driven to really pull the thing off. You've got to be willing to really work hard, put in the work. That's what it is to be a disciple, really, of Jesus Christ. A disciple is one who is disciplined, an apprentice of his. And then after that, the means, right? Just the experiences that you go through. You, you got to go through these experiences. This is what really shapes you. This is what molds you. This is what makes you who you are. And then being that common man with that uncommon desire to succeed, you know, not, not quitting for anything, and having that ability to control your emotions and actions regardless of the circumstances based off of what? That prior preparation and the ultimate motivation of all. You know, remembering those who have gone before you. The steadiness of resolve and the rarity of the 